mind. Help them to grow closer to you. Because we love you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Be seated. I don't know about you, but I think I've heard and seen just about every engagement story there is. You know, things like proposals with an airplane flying over a football stadium. Or an engagement ring frozen in an ice cube. Or maybe even a flash mob singing Marry You by Bruno Mars. See, I wasn't that creative when I asked Amy to marry me. I wasn't, I don't have that, I guess, creative spark in me. It was just a quiet night at our apartment. And I invited her over, and it was just a quiet dinner. I went to our favorite pizza place and got pizza, and they even gave me one of the stands to put the pizza on. And then I went to her favorite restaurant and got her favorite dessert for, for after the pizza. And I asked her when it was time for dessert to go to the refrigerator and to get the, the can of whipped topping for the dessert. And it was under the cap that I put the engagement ring. Nothing fancy, no flash mobs, nothing like that. It was just a, an, a normal engagement. But no matter what these other grand engagements have been like, it's nothing like what Boaz had to go through to marry Ruth. And that's the part of the story where we come to today as we wrap up this series on the book of Ruth, what's often caused, called the greatest short story in the entire Bible. And if you haven't been with us throughout the entire series, it's been quite a journey for these two. Ruth, a, a poor widow, a foreigner in the land of Israel, but deeply devoted to God. And Boaz, an older, virtuous gentleman who defines what it means to be chivalrous and noble. And we can't forget the conniving mother-in-law to spice things up a little bit. But throughout the story, you really want to see Ruth and Boaz come together. You want it to work out. You're rooting for them as you read the story. And when we last left them, Ruth made her willingness to marry Boaz known, and, and because he was a kinsman or a family redeemer. And see, in that culture, that kinsman redeemer, if your father or your husband died and you were left without care and protection, then the nearest male relative to your father or to your husband could act as that kinsman redeemer. They could legally step in and provide for you and to care for you. They had the first legal right to marry you. And if, if it was deemed best, particularly if the widow didn't have any children, in order to provide a male heir for the family. And Boaz was one of Ruth's kinsmen redeemer. But as we learned last week in a plot twist to the story, there was, he wasn't the closest family relative. To, there was another who was closer. And that relative had the right to marry her to fulfill the duty of being her family redeemer before Boaz could do it. But if he wasn't interested in it, or, he, or this kinsman redeemer wasn't financially able to redeem her, then Boaz could then, would next in line, would be able to step in. So we left the story with Boaz determined to see what could be done. And that's where we pick up the story this week. Boaz went to the town gate and took a seat there 
Just then, the family redeemer he had mentioned came by. So Boaz called to him, Come over here and sit down, friend. I want to talk to you. So they sat down together. Then Boaz called ten leaders from the town and asked them to sit as witnesses. And Boaz said to the family redeemer, You know Naomi, who came back from Moab. She's selling the land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. I thought I should speak to you about it so, so that you can redeem it if you wish. If you want the land, then buy it here in the presence of these witnesses. But if you don't want it, let me know right away because I am next in line to redeem it after you. Now let's stop there for a second because the plot has just thickened. This isn't just about Boaz going to another relative and saying, hey, you know I like Ruth, right? And I really want to marry her, but by tradition and by right, you are first in line. You got first dibs. So if you don't have any interest in her, let's make this official. Let, let me step into the line and, and marry her. It, Boaz doesn't even bring Ruth up, yet much less marriage, at least not yet. He brings up what he knows is going to be the real sticking point for this guy. Money. We find out here that in this, this plot of land belonged to Ruth's father. And, and it passed on to her husband, who now, with, with, who's deceased, and with no male heir, it passed on to her and Naomi. But that's as far as that plot of land would go. When Ruth and Naomi died, it would return to the nearest male relative because there was no one to pass it on to. It, would, it was the end of the family line. And Naomi wants to sell the land. It would, it would be good and, and a just thing for that family redeemer to be the one to buy it so that it stays within the family so that if Ruth or Naomi were ever to have somehow, if they were ever able to produce a male heir, it would stay in that family line. In other words, they would buy it and they would keep it in trust. Now, we don't know for sure what the story is about this land. We do know that hard times came on Naomi's family and before the family, the male relatives had died. Likely, they had this piece of property and, and maybe they had to mortgage it to survive. And a family redeemer could step in. They could pay whatever's still owed on the property. They could reclaim it as his own and to keep it in the family, but to be passed on if Naomi and Ruth, if either one produced a male heir. And Boaz seems to know that this guy, that he needs to clear this up before they can even get to the idea of Ruth. Because this was the sticking point, the money. It was, it was the real attraction to this other family redeemer, but, but could ups, and it could upset Boaz's plans to marry Ruth. Because what's a person who has absolutely no integrity? What would they want to do in this situation? Well, they would buy the land, and then they wouldn't marry Ruth, and then they would just wait for Naomi and Ruth to die so that that land would then become his outright 
You could walk away free and clear, and it would be for that individual, if they were a little unscrupulous, it would be a great investment. They would get the property for essentially nothing. So what does, what does this family redeemer do? The man replied, all right, I'll redeem it. Then Boaz told him, of course, your purchase of the land from Naomi also requires that you marry Ruth, the Moabite widow. That way she can have children who will carry on her husband's name and keep the land in the family. Then I can't redeem it, the family redeemer replied, because this might endanger my own estate. You redeem the land. I cannot do it. Now, in those days, it was a custom in Israel for anyone transferring a right of purchase to remove his sandal and to hand it to the other party. This publicly validated the transaction. So the other family redeemer drew off his sandal and he said to Boaz, you buy the land. It's an interesting dialogue between the two of them. When Boaz brings the issue up, the, the man instantly says, yep, I'll take it. Land, property, money, I'm all in. But his response is quick, almost like he smells a good deal and doesn't want Boaz to get it. But then Boaz, in front of everyone, in front of the witnesses, he, that he's assembled all these witnesses, the, the leaders in the community, in front of all of them, he reminds this family redeemer that if he redeems the woman's land, then he also needed to redeem the woman. And by law, he didn't have to. It was just the right thing to do, and and if you think about it, Boaz set him up pretty good here. There he was in front of all the assembled leaders of the town, doing official business. And Boaz says, yes, you have the right to the land. But we all know that to take possession of it and to, and to leave Ruth widowed and alone would be reprehensible. So we can all assume you're going to do the right thing and Mary Ruth, right? See, Boaz sets him up by going for the money first. And Boaz could play that hand because Boaz was more than willing to demonstrate that very act of character. See, for Boaz, the land meant nothing. For Boaz, Ruth was everything. Then the man backs out. Just as quickly as he said yes to the money, he then changes his mind and says, no thanks. Because he knew that if he married Ruth and she did have a child, the property that he redeemed would then go to that child. He would then be out that money that he paid to redeem the land, and, and in the end, he would be out the land too. So he'd put down the money, lose the land, and he would, wouldn't get the money back even though that was the point of acting as a family redeemer. You would care for the widow by marrying her to provide a family for her and an heir so that that husband's possessions and name could be carried on. But this man didn't want to serve anyone else's name. He only cared about his own. He had no interest in caring for Ruth, only in what he might gain from this situation. When he found out that, that it was possible that he might not gain anything 
He could care less about Ruth. He was more than happy to pass this redeemer baton on to Boaz. And actually, this man is even a little sketchier and more selfish than what we've already seen. See, this was taking place in Bethlehem, a pretty small town, which means that this man knew who Naomi and Ruth were, and he knew that he was the closest family redeemer. He knew it all along, yet he never said a word. He never attempted to care for them in even the smallest of ways. You can kind of feel how the author of Ruth, the, the storyteller in this story, feels about this man. Because he never even gives him a name. Not only does he never name him, but the, in the original Hebrew language, the best translation of that introduction is something along the lines of when so-and-so came along. It was a purposeful slight against the man, intentionally not naming him, for he was not the kind of person worthy to be named. And don't miss the irony in that. The man who cared only about his legacy, only about his name, is forever unnamed losing all place in history and honor, while the one that he intended to leave nameless, Ruth. Well, we're still talking about her today. Now, the part that we've been waiting for, Boaz gets his girl. Let's, let's read on. Then Boaz said to the elders and to the crowd standing around, you are witnesses that today I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Malon. And with the land I have acquired Ruth, the Moabite widow of Malon, to be my wife. This way she can have a son to carry on the family name of her dead husband and to inherit the family property here in his hometown. You are all witnesses today. Then the elders and all the people standing in the gate replied, We are witnesses. May the Lord make this woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, from whom all the nation of Israel descended. May you prosper in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem, and may the Lord give you descendants by this young woman who will be like those of our ancestor Perez, the son of Tamar and Judah. What the people prayed as a blessing became a reality. And in ways they never would have imagined. First, the prayer that she and Boaz would have children was honored by God, which, which was no small thing. Remember, Ruth was married to her first husband for 10 years. And for 10 years, they never conceived. But, but this is what we read next in the story. So Boaz took Ruth into his home, and she became his wife. While he, when he slept with her, the Lord enabled her to get pregnant, and she gave birth to a son. Not only did Ruth give birth, but she gave birth to a son. The role of the family redeemer in the life of a woman like Ruth was to try to ensure that there would be a male heir. The fact that Ruth would conceive and give birth to a son meant that culturally her redemption was complete. 
And through her, Naomi's was complete as well. Which is why we read this next. Then the woman of the town said to Naomi, Praise the Lord, who has now provided a redeemer for your family. May this child be famous in Israel. May he restore your youth and care for you in your old age, for he is the son of your daughter-in-law who loves you and has been better to you than seven sons. Naomi took the baby and cuddled him to her breast, and she cared for him as if he were her own. The neighbor women said, Now at last, Naomi has a son again. And they named him Obed. Let me give you a little culture lesson here. A woman's worth in that culture in that time was found primarily in one thing, producing male children. Having a son meant everything. Without a son, there would be no male heir. Without a male heir, the property would go to the closest male relative, not the wife, not the mother. Without that property, they would be left penniless and destitute. The family name would end. But most of all, there would be no one to look after the other female relatives. In this case, particularly Naomi. Boaz wasn't a young man. In fact, he was old, perhaps quite old. And while Naomi was younger than Boaz, she was well past the prime marrying and child-rearing ages. By the time Naomi would be in her final years of life, Boaz would probably be dead. And she would be then dependent on the sons of Ruth. But if there were no sons, Naomi would be in pretty bad shape. Whereas Ruth, being younger, could, could remarry. And, but if it was a marriage outside of the family line, that would leave Naomi completely uncared for. But now, now she has a family once again through Ruth and her kinsman Boaz. She had a recognized place in the family. And with all the duties and responsibilities and caregiving that went with it, this was a huge deal for her. And why such praise was showered onto Ruth, for, for this was the last greatest thing that Ruth could have done for Naomi. To marry a kinsman redeemer and to have a male heir meant that Naomi was now cared for for the rest of her life. You see, there was real meaning in that idea that Ruth was better than seven sons. Naomi's son's widow had a son through the family's redeemer, and she was once again able to have a male descendant to serve as a provider, which is probably why they named him Obed. Obed in Hebrew means servant. This was a son who would serve the entire family, Ruth, Naomi, and Boaz. And the description of, of Naomi holding and loving Obed was probably the most tender, the most generous point of her in the entire story. So it, even for Naomi, even though we've talked pretty negatively about her in this series, it ends on a good note. So that's the end of the story of Ruth. Or is it? Go back and notice something with me. When Boaz worked out the details for his ability to function as a family redeemer for Ruth, the town leaders 
offered this prayer of blessing. May the Lord make this woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, from whom all the nation of Israel descended. May you prosper in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. Rachel and Leah, two women, who, two women who because of their family line and the children they had and the children after them resulted in all of Israel. It was brought into existence through two women, Rachel and Leah. And may they're saying, may Obed and his family line be the new Israel, a whole new chapter in the redemptive history. And then the women who surrounded Naomi prayed this blessing, may this child be famous in Israel. It wasn't just the child they were referring to, but the whole family line. So the question is, was he famous? It's easy to say, well, of course. There's a book in the Bible telling his story. Clearly, he became famous, and, and that's true, but there's a lot more to this story. First, let's take a note at how the book of Ruth ends. See, there's a few extra lines thrown on at the very end, and it's in an interesting one because it's a genealogy. Here's how the book of Ruth ends. He, meaning Obed, became the father of Jesse and the grandfather of David. The son of Ruth and Boaz was the grandfather of none other than King David of David and Goliath, the king of Israel, who brought Israel greatness, brought them fame. But even that's not all. You see, Ruth is one of the very few people who appears in the pages of the Old Testament, but are also mentioned in the New Testament. And one of even fewer of who was a woman. And it's, when we look at the portion in the New Testament, it's a reference to another genealogy specifically the genealogy of one person. The New Testament begins with a genealogy of 42 consecutive generations, putting forward a family line that leads to one very specific person. And here's how it starts in Matthew chapter 1. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. Then going on like that for a few more generations, we get to some people that we now know. Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed was the father of Jesse, Jesse the father of King David. Yes, that's another bit of news, isn't it? This wonderful man, Boaz, was a son of none other than Rahab whose story is told in the book of Joshua. And if you're not familiar with that story, she was a prostitute who ran a brothel, but who helped the Israelite spies in Jericho because she became a believer in God. And when the Israelites stormed the walls of Jericho, there was one rule, save Rahab. Rahab and her family were saved and became part of the Jewish family. Let, she left behind that life of prostitution and became one of the most celebrated women in Jewish history. And she was the mother of Boaz. 
Well, after a few more generational listings, it gets to the reason for such a detailed record and tells us where the family line of Boaz and Ruth would eventually lead. Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. Mary gave birth to Jesus, who is called the Messiah. And there you have it. The woman was redeemed, who was redeemed, gave birth to the son, who would continue the line all the way to the Redeemer himself. Jesus, the Redeemer of the entire world. So I would call that prayer of blessing that they gave over Ovid, that was certainly honor. Ruth gave birth to a son who would make them, make them and all of Bethlehem famous. And all of it through the work of redemption, which is being saved at our point of greatest need. Someone doing something for us that we couldn't do for ourselves. Paying what we could not pay. God wants to do that for each and every person who will let him. The heart of Jesus for the entire world is seen by the very heritage of Jesus, reflecting a harlot, giving birth to a son who would marry a Moabite. The story of Ruth and Boaz, just like the story of Jesus, is about God accepting his accepting and redeeming love for everyone in the world. If you want to accept that love that Jesus has, that redemption that is available to each and every one of us, that story that starts back with Boaz, Rahab, his mother. If you want to accept that redemption this morning, as I pray, would you just stand? Heavenly Father, Lord, I want to, I want to thank you. Thank you for this story in the Bible that, that seems like it has kind of nothing to do with anything else. It's just a story about a lady and, and, and their hardships. But as we learn, as we, as we dive into it, the deep meaning of it, of how Ruth, a Moabite, a foreigner, a widow who had nothing, who was destitute, would join in the family lineage of Jesus. No matter who we are, no matter what we've done, no matter what our past is, we have that assurance that if we just accept Jesus, he will give us the same redemption. Because he is our family redeemer. In Jesus' name.